Welcome to the Materials Inside Special Edition podcast in celebration of Pride Month. Over the course of this mini-series, we've invited guests from the LGBTQI community to talk to us about their experiences and opinions on a range of both interesting and often sensitive subjects. Throughout the series, we will be supporting Black Beetle Health, a charity which is intentional about their fight against racism, stigma and misinformation which negatively affect the health outcomes and experiences of LGBTQI plus black and people of colour. Goodfellow is a UK materials company based in Huntingdon, however this month we are taking a step back from materials to fully embrace and celebrate pride. While these podcasts solely represent the views of the guests involved, Goodfellow fully support their staff and customers who identify as part of the LGBTQI plus community. Throughout Pride Month, we'll be talking about LGBTQ plus art, sports, hobbies, health and community. For this final episode in our special Pride Edition series, we are talking about community. The LGBTQI plus community is stronger together and we come together through community events. Later, Susanna Thomas joins us to talk about Pride, inclusivity within the LGBTQI community and the swimming events she is involved in. But first, Darren Mitchum joins me to talk about the Gay Classic Car Group. The group is based in the UK with over 1,000 members. Organising events throughout the year, the GCCG is a great way for the community to come together and socialize whilst enjoying a shared passion. Hello Darren, thank you very much for your time today. Hi, how are you doing? Can you tell us a little bit more about the Gay Classic Car Group? Yeah, sure. The GCCG, as we abbreviate it to, was founded in 1988, which is quite a few years ago now. In fact, over 30 years ago, we had our 30th anniversary in 2018. And it was a handful of friends who had classic cars, mainly from London, who sort of kept getting together regularly and it was sort of formalised and called the Gay Classic Car Group and it was in the days when it was just word of mouth when people used to join all the way through the 90s. We only had sort of 20, 30, 40 members throughout the 1990s and in fact if you wanted to find out more about the club, this, this takes you back a bit of history, you used to write to a PO box number in Gay Times at the time. That was the only sort of secretive way of joining. Um, but by the 2000s life had changed a little bit more in the UK and uh, we started being a little bit more public. We had articles about ourselves in some of the classic car magazines um, and we started going to some of the Pride events. In fact, um, having stands with classic cars at the Pride events and that was very popular. And then through the 2000s we started growing into the sort of the hundreds and now we're well over the thousand mark. We're 1100 members now. Um, so it's been a, a really good success story. Did the mission statement of uh, GCCG change from the beginning? No, I think it's always been about sort of um, men and cars or gay people and cars or LGBTQ plus um, people these days. Um, we've got a whole, whole diverse, inclusive mix of people. And the cars have always featured the classic cars. And there's a whole spread of cars indeed. You know, some of the oldest cars we've got are pre-1900s, so pre-20th century. We have some of the cars from members, you know, 1905, 1910s. Um, and then generally the more younger members tend to have something much more modern from the 1980s, 1990s perhaps. And what is your involvement within the group? I've been various titles, but more or less doing the same thing for many, many years now. Since the mid-2000s, I've been sort of press or press and publicity or liaison or whatever you want to call it. 
Um, I was the person at the AGM one year that said, "Oh, how can we never have any articles in the in the gay press or in the um, in the classic car press about the gay classic car group, group about the GCCG?" And someone pointed at me and said, "Well, if you think we need some, well, why don't you go off and do it?" So I quite often write press releases and, and send them out and do the occasional radio interview, um, such as this, which I quite enjoy actually. It makes you sort of reflect on the years that we've had and the the different events and the people and the cars. That's great. And it's also um, great to have you here talking to us about, about the group. Why, in your opinion, of course, why is it important to have a gay group like this one? Yeah, that's a good question. And that is a question that does come up most often when we're exhibiting at some of the big classic car shows, like at the NEC. Um, people, I think they like to catch you out and say, oh, you know, gay classic car group. I didn't know you could have gay cars. You know, that's one of the comments you get. But then you also get the question, well, why on earth do we need the GCCG? Um, we thought about it long and hard because we sort of thought, well, gee, maybe you've got a point. But a lot of the classic car groups are what's called single mark groups. So they cater just for a Mini or a, an MGB or a Rolls Royce. And you tend to find that those groups are very technically orientated. So you'll get someone talking about their, you know, my 3 8 grommet that was fitted at the factory is much better as a 4 8 grommet. And it gets very technical, so there's a lot less of the social side. So we bring a sort of a social dimension to, to classic car meetings, and it's, it's very much a mix. And we're not, we're not unique in that. I mean, I was in Boston to see my parents this day, and there's a Boston classic car club which has all sorts of makes and models of cars and all sorts of people join and it's it's more of a social side than the the technical side of the cars very interesting this podcast is all focused on uh, on the pride month june uh, why do we still need a pride well that's a good one as well and that really made me sort of think that, sit there and think that you know you go through your life and something like covid comes along and you 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 analyze a lot more things than you ever did and i thought well why do we need pride and i was reflecting back i went on my first pride in 1990 and I actually remember seeing the classic car group, um, the GCCG, in the mid-90s. And we exhibited formally at Brighton Pride, and we got a really good response. And it's just the whole sort of carnival and the atmosphere and the sort of coming together and feeling part of one, one movement, one community. And I think that's, that's, that's what it means to me. I have been lucky enough to go to um, San Francisco Pride. And I have to say that's very different affair indeed. And you've got the sort of the local police commissioner and the local sort of political representatives and everyone has to cheer as they go by. And it all seems very much more staged. Um, I think pride is, should, should be, you know, it's the social side of things. It's, it's feeling part of the community. And that brings us back to the, the GCCG. People do join mainly to be part of a, another community. Where they can talk about cars, but of course being part of the same LGBT community. You already mentioned uh, what pride means to you. Uh, um, I, w I want to ask you a few more questions about you, of course, and, uh, and, and the way that you um, got involved with cars, first of all. Which car uh, did start this passion uh, for classic cars? I guess going back many, many years to when I was sort of a young lad, uh, grandfather and father both worked in the mechanics industry, and I guess that just subliminally you just sort of become obsessed with cars. And through university years, I was a member of the mini club at university and didn't really sort of think of it as a classic car. It's only when you sort of attach a label to classic cars and then attach a label to sort of being part of the GCCG, you realise where you are. And it was the car I used to drive, it was my grandparents' car that I just 
like to be taken back to the memories of that. And you'll find that a lot of people in the club, even the really non-technical ones, but who do still own a classic car, it'll be something to do with their, their younger years, the car they were taken to school in, or the car the neighbour took them out in, or their favourite uncle had a certain type of car. And that's one that tends to figure quite often in, in people's car collections. And do you still have uh, that car, or, or you change the car, or even the model? I've had this car that I've got at the moment, this car that takes me back to being you know, sort of learning to drive in teenage years. Is I've had that for 13 years now, but I am considering changing it. Yeah, sometimes people change their cars every six months. Every month, sometimes. Then you've got people in the club who've had their cars over 30, over 40, and we think we've had one person who's had their car over 50 years. He got it when he was 16, and he rebuilt it, and he's had it ever since. I was watching a, a TV show yesterday, and there was someone there with a classic car that uh, um, he, he had this car for 43 years, and I, I thought it was quite uh, impressive. So, um, what are the benefits to join the group? Uh, we do a lot of events throughout the year, and quite a variety of events. I mean, obviously the usual picnics and national trust houses and museums of interest, but we do a lot of sort of driving events. Um, a couple of years ago we did what's known as the NC500, which is the North Coast 500. That's 500 miles across the top of the Scottish coast. Um, and that's a very popular event. And we also have a lot of sister clubs. It turned out that it wasn't just a couple of friends in London that started the GCCG that had the same idea. Several clubs in France, Germany, Switzerland, Denmark, the US of course, Australia, New Zealand, all exist. And we have very close ties with those. And we have a well, until Covid came along, we had great time going across to Europe at least once, if not twice or three times a year, across to meet other car clubs and have events that were 150, 200, in fact 250 was our record event in Norwich when we had our 30th anniversary. Um, so it's just taking the cars out and it's great to have the mix of cars and people because there's great opportunities to leave your car one day at the hotel on the weekend events and just say to someone, well, can I come in your car with you? Can I you know, help read the map? That helps the camaraderie and it means that you get to see different cars that you would never get a chance to go in normally, in, under normal circumstances. You mentioned the, the age of the cars and what about the members? Uh, is the age of the members uh, very specific or is uh, a broad range of ages? Very broad. Well, I think we can't get much broader than that. I was speaking to someone the other day who's fairly local to me who's 84 now. Um, I think he's getting towards the, the older end of the demographic um, and then the younger end and we've certainly got quite a few people joining in the last year even um, because of our online and social media offerings we've done a lot more in terms of um, virtual pub meetings this year and we've got a big presence on Instagram we've really been pushing that and it's amazing how many people that who was up from the younger end of the, of the uh, sort of 25 to 35 year olds is, is really really interesting that that's continuing to grow because you do get some car clubs with certain kinds of cars where it's just tailing off so rapidly that you can see that the the members and the cars will disappear um, but we've got it we've got a great variety we're really lucky that's great and um, you talk about the events and of course the, the the fact that people come together um is there much of a community spirit when it comes to uh, meeting at events yeah a great community even if you haven't seen someone for say five years um, it's just like yesterday, it's just like old friends meeting up and you sort of laugh and giggle about the silly little things that happened during dinner or while you were out on a drive. It's, it's always happy and smiley, that's the sort of thing that I remember. And there's always sort of good sense of humour as well, I mean one of the silliest things I can remember happening 
in the last year or so is one of our members decided to buy a Robin Reliant, a Reliant Robin, which is the Del Boy kind of car, the three-wheeler, um, for those not completely up to speed on cars. And it's a silly little plastic sort of car and quite comical, really, which is why they used it in Only Fools and Horses, I guess. Um, but four of my friends in London, that's four people in this tiny car, as if that wasn't funny enough, decided to go for afternoon tea at the Ritz and turned up at the front door of the Ritz and handed the keys to the... Um, concierge and said, oh, you know, go and park that, please. And there was a huge crowd of people just sort of looking and pointing and looking bemused and laughing. And that's the sort of type of community and the type of sort of fun thing that sort of happens. And, and yeah, just light-hearted and harmless and, and fun. Talking about, uh, about of course, again, your events and, and, and the time that you all come up together, you already mentioned that you go abroad, you don't, don't stay only in UK. What are the oldest cars you get at the event? There's, as I said earlier, we've got some that are just pre-1900s, but we have seen some come even on the European events. That are, there's a, something called a 1908, well, the year's 1908, and it's a Berlio, which is a French make. And he, he does trailer it across, he doesn't drive it all the way across to France, but he's been on, on the French week-long events in that car sometimes, and that is, that is really old. You've got a handful of, of people, there's, there's, members, there's mem a couple of members in the country I know have know, 10, 20 cars that are all pre-1930s. Um, not that many though. Um, and then you start to sort of get more and more of the sort of 40s, 50s, 60s, and now the 70s and 80s cars. And in fact, even the 90s cars are now um, featuring quite, and you, you look at them and of course they were cars of your youth and you don't really always think of them as classic cars and you sort of think about it and think, well, now hang on, that was 30 years ago. When you said that the car car's thirty years old, and I th I remember the cars you know coming out as brand new ones, and now they are classified as, as um, classics. And you, you said about of course you have quite old uh, classic cars. What what about issues with breakdowns? Do you have any any stories about that? Um, we've been relatively lucky. I mean, I've been going on events since the late nineties, and there's it's never been. I mean, touch wood, there's never been any major accidents, thank goodness. Um, breakdowns, there's odds and ends of things, but nothing, no sort of big showstoppers. Occasionally people get their cars trailered away. Um, but in fairness, the last time I remember that happened, that was because the person had such an enormous hangover that he just said that the car wasn't working and someone came and trailered it away, um, which was probably quite sensible. But even if something does break down, we've got a, quite a few people who are reasonably technical, so you know, instantly you see a car by the side of the road and it's, it's clear something's happened. We'll pull over and say to someone, you know, everything okay? And most things get fixed pretty simply. Um, it was a different time. Yes, you had more breakdowns with older cars, but generally most things you know you can fix with a, a piece of duct tape or a paper clip or a you know, piece of blue tack or something like that. You know, fairly primitive things, classic cars. And that's something that everybody um, help because I know that you have some some engineering experience and and use that uh, on those those occasions. Is that right? I'm lucky to you know have that background with grandparent and father both working in the motor industry, and we have a lot of people. Some who still work in the motor industry now as mechanics or insurance assessors, um, and that we've got a whole range of knowledge, and you can. It would probably be a bit of an argument, pop the bonnet and you sort of go, well, I think it's that. And someone says, no, it's this. But you get there in the end and it's just nice to help some of the other people who are, who are not technical at all. Um, they're very much more part of what the car looks like or what the car 
smells like when you're inside, I mean that's a big thing for a lot of people. You open a car door and the smell of a car can instantly take you back to a completely different time, a different age. Yeah, uh, um, the the fact that we, we talked about events before and, and of course we had last year and still going through the pandemic, lots of events uh, cancelled, but where are the events usually held? Uh, all over really, all over the UK and certainly all over Europe, we've been to all sorts of different places and that's a good thing about the place I mean take one Jane Austen's house you know you sort of think yeah, do you know what okay it might be quite nice to go to Jane Austen's house perhaps one day you know it's not going to grab you but when you know that the car group's going you sort of think oh well actually you know a few people there that I know this could be quite interesting um, so it's not necessarily the destination it's it's knowing who's going to be there and, and the cars that are going to be there and you know, seeing someone, as I said, after five years or two years, especially after this pandemic, will be interesting. And then there's always people who have been working on their car or had work done to their car because, you know, classic car quite often needs restoring or even light, light amount of work. And you've got a lot of talented people in the club and people who know talented people you know, working on the bodywork, the metalwork, um, the interiors and the engines. Um, so it's not, it's not necessarily remembering just that we went to a certain castle or a certain park. It's, it's the whole thing of seeing the cars and the people. What about stories? I'm sure that you have some funny stories uh, from the last few years and some of those events. Do you have anyone that uh, um, you want to share with us? Well, I mentioned the, the Reliant Robin one. I mean, that obviously always makes me smile. Um, there's always an observation. When we go to the foreign events, to the, to the European events especially, and certainly in France, they always give us unlimited wine. Now, for the French and the Germans, they sit at the table at the end of the night, there's ten people at the table, and there may be four or five empty bottles of wine. But you can guarantee, on the first night, you can recognise the British tables because there are at least twenty empty bottles of wine, and several people looking very, very, very much the worse for wear. We don't seem to be very good at sort of pacing ourselves with wine, it must be said. But, um, or you could look at it the other way around and say, we do like to party, perhaps. And that brings us back to pride, I guess, and the you know the celebration and the party atmosphere. You know, there's all, the the uh, alcohol is always flowing generously. I would say at pride events. So in the group, instead of one pride a year, you have several prides uh, with the, with all those events. Yeah, we've been to Birmingham, Brighton, all the big ones, and indeed, I haven't done many of them. But there's a lot of really, really tiny little local small ones now. Um, you know, in small towns, let alone sort of cities, and we try and support those where we can. It's just nice to meet other groups of people, you know, there's the, the bikers group, they quite often support these types of things as well. What about uh, in the last 12 months, cancellations of, of the event? We've done really well. We've done, no, we've done really well in the last 12 months. Um, we put our heads together and thought, right, you know, people are paying their membership fee, it's only £20 a year, but even so you've got to give people value for money. So we still have the magazine, the quarterly magazine, full glossy colour magazine, which you can argue, well, £20 just buys that. But no, we've provided a lot of um, virtual and online events um, and indeed we've sort of been leading the way almost on that. We almost came close to winning some prizes in some classic car magazines. So we had a fix-it weekend, we've done two of those where we encourage people to go out and fix their cars. Now that could be a full renovation or it could just be you know, cleaning the windscreen even. And we've encouraged them to take videos and photos of these things. And what happens then when you're following these things on Facebook or Instagram you're still getting that slight sense of being there and the slight sense of community. Um, we've done that and we've done a lot of um, virtual pub meets and each one's had a theme. The most memorable one for me 
and I didn't realise that people could be so obsessed by these things. But we did a get your dinkies out, which was a slight play on words, but dinky toys and matchbox and corgi. Um, with the tiny little cars that you used to have when you were little, little sort of toy cars. Um, and there's rather a lot of people collect rather a lot of those and are rather obsessive about them. <laughs> I was quite surprised that we had sort of 30 or 40 people at that meeting desperate to show off their model car collection. Talking about the future, what are uh, the next events uh, with the uh, GCCG? Uh, we're being reasonably cautious. We're, we're tacking on to a lot of car shows static car shows so there's a big show at Bista Heritage Centre and we're going to be meeting there. Um, so we're doing that just to begin with because we had a lot of times last year false starts when you thought we were going to be out and going to do a drive and then or going to stay at a hotel for instance and they got cancelled so we, we ain't doing many of those. But we do have a big sort of national day when we have try and have as many people as possible from the club come and we're planning to do that in September in Nottingham at the Railway Museum, um, so that, that'll be a real biggie. And there'll be a lot of local runs as well because of course we're still limited, full well now, um, by 30 people outside. Um, so we don't want to get too carried away straight away, but we're definitely going to be organising some drives and some picnics in the next three or four weeks. That's good to hear. In the end of the podcast we're going to leave the contacts for the club, social media and also websites so people can see the, the events and a way to contact uh, the club if they want to join or more information about that. Um, one of the things with people that collect things, uh, and that happened with me too, we normally don't like to use that. With cars, does that happen the same way or is it different? The majority of the people in the club are of the view that the car is there to be used and it's better for it. Um, now we have a handful of people, probably less than 10%, who have museum pieces that they're just there to sit there and just to look at and probably not even to touch. Um, but I would say the majority of the people, because there's more to it than just looking at a thing. There's the sound of the car, there's the smell of the car, there's how it drives, you know, how hard the suspension is, how the rattles, the bumps. And that's all part of the experience. And you just don't get that if you've got just a museum piece that you're just looking at. You're only using the one sense. So, yeah, we do have a few rarities that are stored away and there to be preserved. Uh, possibly possibly as an investment, you know, a bit like a piece of art, but the majority of people, the car is there to be used, to be loved, to be out in, to show off. And is um, is okay for, for someone to drive a car that, for instance, don't have uh, the seat belts on? You'd be surprised, you know, I, if I can get to meet with any of you, you guys and get you in a car like that. I love to see people's faces because it, it, these just look of horror. You've got to remember, we did that for 60, 70, 80 years. No, but it's just the fact that we're so used to a seatbelt now and it makes us feel like we're safe. I mean, the reality is it's probably, you know, it stops things happening in certain instances. So, yeah, you, you can, the car as it, has, as it has been built is legal to be driven in the UK. Now, it's not the case in Australia. You have to have those things retrofitted. Um, but we're sort of lucky, if that's the right word, that we can drive an experienced cars just as they would have been. Um, so the 1908 car I referred to earlier, that is just, you sit on this very tall chair on some very large wheels that are like a penny farthing bike and you just drive along, you know, it's like a settee on wheels with an engine um, and that is utterly terrifying if you're doing anything more than 30, 40 miles an hour. But I guess that's part of the experience. Exactly that, it's part of the experience to try something like that. Uh, Darren, what, what is the future for, for the group? I guess we're at a level now where 
you know, people are dropping off at the, the top end of the age range, but we've still got people coming in at the bottom end. Um, now our bread and butter events of going out for a drive or meeting for a chat and a picnic are, are going to still happen. Uh, social media has had an influence, and certainly after the year we've had now, we've realised there is actually a need for a virtual pub meeting on Zoom once a month. You know, I suggested that, you know, we're back to normal now, we're having our normal meetings, we'll stop the Zoom meetings, and there was quite an outcry of people saying, well, no, you know, I live in Scotland, and my friend on here lives in Cornwall, I'll never get to see him, but I want to be able to chat to him. So there will be things coming along, you know, evolution, I think is the word, rather than revolution, um, in marketing speak. Um, I don't think there'll be anything big and major that will change. I think we'll be plodding along as we are for quite a few years yet, but there'll be things, new things that we'll embrace that will improve our members' experiences. That's great to hear. Darren, thank you very much for your time today. Talk about the Gay Classic Car Group and we will uh, stay in touch and we will keep uh, updating information about the group. Thank you for your time today. Yeah, I hope, hope you do. Yeah, no, it's, it's good to focus my mind and, you know, remind yourself, well, hang on a minute, why do I have a classic car? Why am I a member? And then when you start to sort of think about it again and, and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I quite like that. Yeah. So, um, no, it's a great, it's a great pleasure, especially during this important time for Pride as well. Black Beetle Health is a charity dedicated to promoting health, well-being and equality for LGBTQI plus black and people of colour. Through their innovative health education and promotion methods, community events and the development of a variety of evidence-based peer-reviewed resources, Black Beetle Health aims to redefine the standard of health outcomes for these communities. Next we have Susanna Thomas, an active participant in community events, sports clubs and pride parades. Hello Sue, thank you very much for your time today. Cheers, thank you for having me. So, as a gay woman, do you always feel equally represented within the LGBTQI plus community? It's a tricky one. I mean, I feel represented in some ways, but I mean, uh, I associate and, and hang out with a lot of like uh, of the the gay male um, community. I don't have as many lesbian friends. I've got a few, um, but they're all settled down with cats and things. Um, so. Um, as I as am I, but I don't have the cat. Um, but it, it's it's really difficult because I would be happy to go to lots of bars and uh, go to any bar, but you know a lot of them want to go to the male only bars and things like that. So yeah, I mean, so it's a bit of a mixed bag. I think I do think that in some situations I feel represented, but then you know it can be quite um, segmented and and sort of segregated in ways. And in the previous episodes, uh, we had uh, one of our guests, Peter, that talked about the Northern Cox Badminton Club and the Northern Rebound Squash Club. You play with the, with the Northern uh, Rebound as well, don't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, actually, that's uh, that's that's one of the things that how I met a lot of the sort of uh, the gay uh, community in Manchester. So um, I used to play squash many years ago. Um, the person I used to play squash with moved from the area. Um, so I sort of kind of almost saw it as a combined two things in one. Meet lots of new people, gay people to go out drinking with because my social circle was quite small at the time, but also get to play squash and it actually changed my life like uh, now I would say most of the people that I um, hang out with are all kind of all, all people that I met through Northern Rebound um, and so yeah I'm really thankful for, for the club and, and everything they did there 
why do you think it's important to have LGBTQI plus sports and social clubs? Um, yeah, I do think it's important. I think um, it, it gives you that kind of that community, that kind of similarity, that kind of, you know, you've got that initial thing. You don't have that awkwardness of having to say, oh, by the way, guys, I'm gay. Um, I hope you don't mind. I'm not looking at you when you're getting changed, I promise, um, kind of thing. So uh, I, I used to play softball and that was mixed softball. And I remember... Uh, it wasn't LGBT plus or anything then. Um, I don't think it is now. I mean, there was lots of uh, lesbians and, 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 and gay people who were playing it, but there was always that awkwardness of when you're talking about your partner and they always then say, oh, oh, what does he do? And it's always like, well, no, actually, she does this. Um, so, yeah, I think you join one of those sorts of clubs. So you don't have to have that awkward conversation about, oh, yeah, I'm gay or, you know, because... You know, it's not really a massive deal to me and it shouldn't be to anything. I'm there to join a club, a group of and meet people and, and do something that I want to do and enjoy. Um, really interesting. This series is, is all about, of course, the LGBTQI plus community. And uh, and I know that the clubs uh, in Manchester have very, very strong, the LGBT clubs. Have the clubs been part of the Pride celebration? And I know that they, they have been. Have you joined them uh, on those celebrations? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, so. When I joined Northern Rebound, I I think first couple of years of joining it, they never were part of the uh, Pride celebrations in terms of the parade. Uh, but the year that we did it, um, I was part of the parade. I papier mache a giant squash ball to represent the squash team, and then we um, sort of I had the boys hitting me with their rackets and I was sort of ricocheting all along the uh, parade it's quite good fun apart from when it rained and I had to then get out of my uh, squash bowl that's an uh, interesting uh, vision on on that do you often dress up in customs and fancy dress oh yeah any opportunity uh, <laughs> any opportunity I get I think it must have been like a, a missed um, childhood thing because I'm, I'm kind of making up for it now um, yeah you give me a, a theme and I'm always coming up with the weirdest wackiest thing that I can come up with during lockdown I was dressing up the whole time I'll give you a theme then what about Eurovision have you done anything special for that this year oh every year I do something special for Eurovision who doesn't love Eurovision some people say like Pride is their um, their their gay Christmas. To me, Eurovision is my big gay Christmas. For me, Eurovision is everything. I've been watching it since I was a kid. I've been to it twice. Uh, I went to Stockholm the first time, um, like a few years back, and then Lisbon, which was also pretty awesome. Um, yeah, I I love it. And I was there too. It was a great show, wasn't it, in Lisbon? What was the funniest uh, fancy dress costume that you ever had? Oh, well, I mean, it's, it's controversial. I once dressed up as a giant sanitary towel um, for Halloween. Uh, there was a lot of disgust and also admiration. Disgust from my partner because I actually cut up the uh, mattress protector of our bed to make the costume and then was like smearing paint on it. Um, well, I've dressed up as a hamburger. Uh, I've dressed up as many creatures. Uh, I've been a frog. Uh, I've been a lobster. I've been a cow. Um, so yeah, lots of different things I've dressed up as. Sounds very, very, really funny. Next time I'm in Manchester, I definitely come to come to see you. Um, <laughs> um, this this series, uh, of course, like I said earlier, is all focused on the the LGBT. 
community. So we have two questions that we're asking all our guests. So the first one is, why do we still need pride? I think we do still need pride. Um, I think, look, we're really fortunate uh, living in, Ma- oh, I'm really fortunate living in Manchester and being from London. Okay. I didn't have to worry about small town um, mentalities. I didn't have to worry about certain things. I mean, you do kind of still, but you know, big cities are a bit more accepting, but there's still a lot of little cities and lots of smaller places where people don't understand it. And I think that we still do need to, um, show people that it is okay to be who you are and and pride is important for that because it's just showing people that it's acceptable to be who you are and to put it in such a a public forum like that to see it on the streets in parades and stuff and see that people in the community can come in all shapes sizes and, and 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 in differences you know what does pride mean to you in a way of you know the pride month what that pride that mean to me to as a sort of a, a concept i'm not really sure what it means to me i mean it sounds stupid I, I i might have said it before but my sexuality is a small part of who i am i'm proud of who i am i don't need a month to to say that but that being said it doesn't mean that other people don't need that um i think i've come you know i've been out for 20 odd years maybe longer everyone I know family friends etc know who I am know like you know my situation I don't think that it really I don't need a month to celebrate it I think when I was younger I did um I think it's 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 a good thing to have um again certainly in in countries and places where you know gay rights are, are so far behind us um but I think certainly in the UK um we are making a lot of headway. Um, things have changed massively from when I was, you know, coming out at 18 um, to, to where we are now. You know, the fact that I'm married to a woman now was never even a concept back then. You know, nothing you could even think about. I think it's a great message. I think is is you know, is, is your opinion. That's what we want, what that means to you in that way. I heard that you are attempting a swimming challenge. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. Um, I've stupidly, uh, I think I was drunk actually when I was with my friends who convinced me to do this. But yeah, I've uh, stupidly signed up to swim Loch Or in Scotland, which is the longest um, loch in Scotland. It's 26 miles. So we're part of a three-way uh, relay team. Um, and so, yeah, we're going to be swimming that next August. So I'm swimming a lot, um, training a lot, um, trying to get better and be able to not sink or get eaten by a Loch Ness monster. We hope not. At least if that happened, we confirm that it exists, but we still, we still don't know. Definitely we'll keep an eye on, on you and, and on this challenge uh, and, uh, and see how it goes. Hopefully it goes um, all okay. You already mentioned some of uh, um, the, the gay scene um, aspects. You, you mentioned the bars and, and the way that you you go out and socialize with, with your friends. There is not necessarily just you, you don't just go to a type of, of, of bar. But we know that you know in different cities around around the country in different parts of the world too, there's more gay bars, man-focused gay bars, and not as many lesbian. Uh, uh, bars why do you think um, that is and uh, there's any damage for the lesbian community the fact that they don't have as many bars as the rest of the the, the community have yeah i mean when i i lived in london 
uh, well, I'm from London originally, so um, yeah, when I I remember going to my first like lesbian bar in in Soho, and I used to love it. And then and then when I moved to Manchester, I do remember going to uh, Coyotes um, when it used to be there, and then um, Vanilla as well. I mean, I think. I don't think it's damaging the lesbian community. I think the lesbian. I think it's not just the lesbian community. I think the community are just. Some of the community are deviating away from going to, uh, like you know, gay bars, and and people are happy to go to say the northern quarter in Manchester, where you can be anything and anyone, and it doesn't matter. Um, so I don't think it's damaging to the lesbian community. I think there's always a time and a place for it, at, you know, to go to a lesbian bar. If you're single um, and you want to go, then, yeah, I think uh, it, there is a place for it. You want to meet potentially women. You don't want to have to hit on someone that's not gay. So it, it makes sense to have them. But I think, again, I don't know, maybe they don't exist much anymore because society's changed, you know. People are just meeting up with people on apps and stuff. So actually, meeting people in a in a bar is probably not the thing that's done anymore. Um, again, can't really speak for it because you know not had to be in that situation for a very long time. Uh, although after this podcast, maybe I might be. Um, uh, so um, I no, I don't know. It's uh, I, I just want to go to a bar and be with my friends, and so I don't really care if it's a a, a gay men only bar or or a women only bar i mean it obviously it becomes a problem a lot of my friends are men gay men so um it does become difficult um to try and get into those sorts of bars and vice versa and you know there's been times when men haven't been able to get into the lesbian bars um so i mean maybe maybe people are just being a bit more not sticking to their own sexes and and their own you know like you know lesbians sticking with lesbians and 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 gay men sticking with gay men maybe you know we're all open to just hang out and and have fun interesting um i think i think you you touch a few a few points here you know uh, of course a part of the fact in last year uh, most of the bars being closed but uh, i think one of the, the biggest changes on on society not only on uh, the lgbt community but also uh, um, in all the other uh, parts of, of, of the, the society is the fact that people tend to to do things online and uh, and have more time on the phones that they are uh, that they are you know talking to each other so i think that's probably one of the reasons also i guess you know that there's that whole point of when you're on like oh, i remember it was i think it was gay dot Gaydar Girls, um, that was the only sort of like lesbian kind of type of app back then. And um, at least you knew you were chatting to someone, you know, you know, you you, you could like you you could then meet up for a drink with them afterwards and and stuff. And and if it happened, it happened, you hooked up or whatever. Um, But, you know, whereas if you're in a bar and, and, you know, you don't know if, if someone's interested in you or not. And there's that awkwardness, maybe. I don't know. It's been a long time. So thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you for our podcast. And uh, we'll carry on looking at your, your social media and, and leave information here about, about your, your swimming challenge. Thank you for, for your time today. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us on our journey exploring the LGBTQI plus community. These episodes have been a celebration of Pride Month and have been a pleasure to create. Thank you to all our special guests for joining us. We'll be taking a little break, but we'll be back with the Materials Inside podcast series two in just a few weeks time. 
the next series will be bringing the focus back to materials. The theme for the series will be inspiring engineering. We have some really special guests lined up already and some fascinating topics and materials. Subscribe to our social media pages for news and updates. All links are available in the podcast description. Also, please keep donating to support our partner charity, Black Beetle Health. See you soon. To learn more about Black Beetle Health or to donate, pop over to their website at blackbeetlehealth.co.uk. And of course, make sure you follow them on social media too. All other Material Inside podcasts can also be found at materialshub.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening.